I never thought that the state as a whole, I always thought that the silent majority was going to win. Reform is not something we're opposed to in this work, but reform doesn't come in the form of like beating cops It's definitely different in the city more so than it is in the suburbs. You have a lot of suburbs that you still have a lot of support for the police. Welcome to Three Cops Talk. On this podcast, three active duty police officers discuss behind the scenes stories and real life accounts of what it's like to be a cop. Every episode, you'll get an inside look at the challenges and dangers they face on a daily basis, as well as the triumphs and inspirational moments that make it all worth it. If you want to understand more about the men and women who put their lives on the line for us every day, then this is the show for you. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Welcome to the Three Cops Talk podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean, one of your hosts, and I'll be joined by my partners and fellow cops, Chris and Scott. Today, we're joined by retired Chicago police officer and current attorney, Angelo Travlos, to talk about the controversial Illinois police reform legislation known as the Safety Act. We discuss some scenarios that may change the way the courts and police respond to crime and how that may impact ordinary citizens in Illinois. If you have any ideas or topics for the show, please reach out to us at three cops talk at gmail.com that's the number three cops talk at gmail.com please follow us on social media our details are in the show notes and if you like the episode please share with a friend we hope you enjoy the show all right folks we're back here at three cops talk uh this is sean i am joined today again by rich uncle chris hey uh, the Polish Fog, you can hear him. And then the thrifty Norwegian, Big Sergeant <laughs> Scott, is also on board. Mm-hmm. Squeezing his quarters over yeah, there in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I don't know if you guys, guys know this, but we live in a, a very ballyhooed and hyped age, a misinformed Ballyhoo. age, a very like, hey, you know, you know, people think we've got information at our fingertips all over the place. And we do with the advent of the Internet and things like that. But one of the things about I've found uh, basically about what we're talking about today, the topic that we're talking about today, which is the Safety Act, which is affecting a place that Chris and I – near and dear to us, way more to Chris than me because Chris was born and raised in the city of Chicago and Scott's been a lifelong Midwesterner. I've kind of been a bit of a journeyman Mm -hmm. myself. Um, um, I'm a little Hemingway-esque, like I like to say, like I've been around. Um, Yes. This is going to be a good show because Sean comes up with those big words and our guest is going to have some huge words. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be, a, it's going to be like a, it's going to be like words for friends for 45 minutes. And all that moving around, I'm lucky if I actually could afford to live in a refrigerator box right now. So, uh, you know, so there, there's so much to be said for that. But anyway, a lot of misinformation. You go out there, you're trying to find out things on your own. You're looking at things like that. And you go to the news source when you look, hey, here's a situation with the Safety Act. I'm trying to find pros and cons of both. But guess what I'm finding mostly on the Internet is pros of the Safety Act. But but why are so many people opposed to it? Why would I say people opposed to it? Do I not mean just police officers, but I mean states attorneys? I, I read something in an article today that actually said that out of the 102 states attorneys that are in the state of Illinois, a hundred of them have voiced opposition to, uh, to it. And some of it vociferously. One in, that comes to mind is the Will County state's attorney, uh, Jim Glasgow, who's a Democrat, by the way, in a democratically controlled state saying, hey, this, this, this stuff. 
it's problematic. This, this is not my yep. guy. Like, like right. uh, Frank Costanza says, he's he's not my guy. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, he he definitely is like concerned about it. So, we figured we'd do a show on it to kind of clear the air on some of the things. Some of the things to be realistic about it. Obviously, we're all cops and we do the work, and we've all openly said that reform is not something we're opposed to in this work. But reform doesn't come in the form of like beating cops down because you're starting to see the effects of that. People don't want to do the work. Every agency in America, by and large, is claiming, "Hey, we don't have enough cops to do the work." Just the basic work to try to do a better job for you. People are just like, I don't want to go in there if I have no rights to defend myself. And that's some of the things that the Safety Act brought up for police officers that were concerned. Now we've been under it since January of 2021. It was a law. It was enacted in July of 2021. And some of those things from there, I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but it definitely, I would I would say, has a has had an impact on recruiting particularly in the state of Illinois. But today what we're talking about is some of the things, particularly when it comes to uh, bail, bond, what's going to happen with officers, what's going to happen moving forward in January of 2023, where some of these updates to the law have come to exist. And our guest today is Angelo Travlos, who's an attorney. He's a brother in blue that's done great by us. He's gone on and got his law degree. I'm going to let him talk a little bit about himself, but he is going to give us some unique insight and very uh, insider information from pattern and practice, both on both sides of the badge right now. Having been a cop and now a retired cop that does great work legally for people, uh, um, he's going to talk to us a little bit about it. Now, let me just ask before we get into Angelo, the YouTube guys, Chris and, and Scott. Chris and I have gone to an area where they still feel that law and order is somewhat important Um and they back the police to a certain degree. Now, I don't know if the financing uh, at times, uh, you know, goes with that. But in the same sense, Florida has definitely a governor that's come out and spoken out about, you know, supporting police officers and the, the rule of law. And Illinois, Scott, you're sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, thanks. That was that made me feel good. Yeah. I mean, out here, well, here in Illinois, it's the the attitude towards police in Chicago is definitely different. I would think I, I it's definitely different in the city more so than it is in the suburbs. You have a lot of suburbs that you still have a lot of support for the police and, and things are working well and, and that's great. But I know from people that I'm friends with that still work there, I'm sure Angelo is going to touch on it as well as people that I do some training with from time to time here and there, they're struggling there. And a lot of these things that are coming out of this safety act are going to just make things even more problematic. And as, right. as you're going to hear that, not only problematic for the police, but problematic for the community. They're going to actually, right. you know, impact people in the community with some of the things that are coming out of this too. So it's, it's, it's tough and it's coming, but I think uh, the more we get the information out about it, people will, will, will be more informed and maybe they will want to be a part of trying to maybe come back to the table and fix some of these things that, that people are seeing to be problematic right. with this. Right. And, and and like I said, Angelo, we'll get into this later. You know, Angelo and I work for the same department down here and I voice to Angelo more than once when we, when we get into our deep conversations that it's just nice to be at a place where, you know, you can, you know, you can be the police and have the backing. I mean, it's not even about, you know, we can always go politics, you know, right or, but right or wrong seems to have gotten away with like all of a sudden wrong is right. Right is wrong. You, you, you can argue Republican, Democrat all day long, but someone does something wrong, he should be penalized for wrong. And we've got it now mm-hmm. where wrong is no longer penalized. Wrong is now right and right is now wrong. And the police, when I was a kid, the person that ran from the police, they they always said, well, that person, why did you run from the police? Now the question is, why are you chasing him? 
So <laughs> right, if right, you've gone right, away from right. a good person doesn't run from the police, you shouldn't run from the police to where if you're running from the police, something's wrong with you and the police should chase him. Where now it's why did the policeman chase him? Why was he so upset when he was chasing him? You know, and it lifts the focus from the bad guy to the policeman. And it's not it's not a way to look at something. Right. And that's why we can't get um, that's why we can't get, you know, policemen to 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 stand in line to to take the test. I mean, you know, because they just don't have that backing. So anyway, real quick, before we get into some questions, as you heard, that's Angel Travelos, uh, 25 years as a Chicago policeman, retired, came down to Florida as a policeman here. He's also a licensed attorney in the state of Illinois, Um, got 3000 felony arrests. Angelo, something like that? I have over, yeah. So I, I I came on the job in 95, worked the West Side my whole career, retired February the 1st, and um, I attended DePaul University, is where I got my law degree from. So I attended DePaul University in 98, and I graduated in 2001 from DePaul University College of Law. Nice. Okay, so you were a policeman and attorney at the same time yeah. for quite some time. Yes. Okay. And then during that time, so, and, 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 and again, you, you've been through, and, and I'm not exaggerating, it's been 3,000 3, felony arrests I or have, something to that number, have, correct? Total arrests have been 3,000, almost 700, with over almost 1,000 felony arrests. Nice. Okay. So th- I just wanted to give that background specifically because it's not like, um, I sat at a desk. It shows a lot of credibility because he's been through the whole thing. Absolutely. So, um, you know, so we'll, what we brought him on today to try and clear up some of this whole thing with the safety act that, you know, the pros and cons, as, as Sean said earlier. And we really want people to know the truth because that's what we're trying to do with this show is, you know, bridge the gap between people. Um, and really quick, anybody, you know, please, you know, this early in the show, if you know anybody, please go to where you get your podcast and download, subscribe and leave a rating review. It really helps us get this truth out, because I think just like like Scott said, the more we get the truth out, people are going to be aware of what's happening to them because it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. And like Angelo said, we can talk politics, but this goes beyond politics. This goes on to what affects, you know, the 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 the, the civilian, the, per, the quality of life, the kids yeah. going to soccer. And school. Yep. Quality of life. So. Um, and to start out, what, we we basically want to kind of define people just that maybe yes. listeners from all over the country, all over the world that listen to what we're talking about, because we do have listeners everywhere, Chris. I don't know if you know this or not. We're, <laughs> we're worldwide. Like we're London. like the deli counter right now. You can get all sorts of strange exotic meats here. It's really crazy. Um, Euros, corned beef, Polish ham, lutefisk. You got it all. But um, the safety act, as it's defined, everybody's got to come up with an acronym for something now. I make, I guess it makes it more memorable to right. people as to what it stands for. But the safety act actually stands for safety, accountability, fairness, and equity today. They had to put that T right. on there to obviously safety. make it that cool it's acronym. Safety. Yeah, safety right. today to right. let people know, like, we're doing this right now. And if you are, like, demanding things immediately from your government today, generally, I'm just going to tell you, because government's so big, that's probably not a good thing because there's way too many factors to consider that. You know, I know we want speedy justice and, you know, quick trials and things like that to get on with our lives. But the bottom line is when you're impacting the vast majority of human beings, the immediate demands of things – when you're upset, I get it. But the bottom line is, is this has to be prudent and thought about. So that's why I've brought Angelo on the show. He's going to talk to us about from, again, his experience on both sides of this, of what happens going forward to remove some of the doubt for people or at least clear some of the air for people, cops as well. Uh, you go to a call as a police officer. 
How is that going to break down for us, Angela? What's that going to mean? What's that going to look like? All right. Let me give you let me give you a typical situation. This is just one example. Are you ready? You get called. You get called criminal trespass. So I'm going to say Joe Citizen arrives at his house and an unknown person is sitting in his backyard. Okay. You call the police and you wait for them to arrive. The police confront the suspect and he refuses to leave. This is your house. He's in your backyard. Okay. The individual doesn't want to leave. He cannot be arrested and no force can be used to make him leave. Only a ticket can be issued. Game over. So a citation. Yeah. Citation. That's it. He can be detained during the time in which we're issuing. So he's detained during the time in which we're dealing with him to find out who he is or anything. He doesn't even have to be detained. If he, if the police shows up and he wants to leave, he doesn't want to give you any information. You would have no right to make him. You have no right to use force. You have no right to detain him. It's an, it's a, it's not an arrestable offense. Right. Hmm. And that one, you know, that one is probably I'm glad I'm glad you started with that one, because that is probably one of the ones that I get the most questions about from people that are civilians, that are business owners like they're hearing about. Well, here, let me give you the problem, though, as a policeman now. So say say this criminal trespass and the guy wants to sign complaints, the guy wants to do whatever. And the policeman has to use force. Right. In Chicago, at least he's got to use force. He's got to affect an arrest. Okay. This is the problem that you get. The city can say, you violated the law. We're not going to protect you for what you did. You didn't act within the law, authority to do any of that. So now, not only is the case going to be dismissed against the guy, but the policeman's going to face civil repercussions from the guy's lawyer and the city of Chicago is going to get sued and the city of Chicago can make you pay punitive damages because you violated the law. They're going to say, guess what? When you came to the scene, you were a sworn police officer, but what you did after violated the law and it's not in our policy and we will not protect you. Sounds like eminent domain for criminals. Like as a police officer, you're now just a bureaucrat. We're going to come there and go, hey, man, I'm sorry. And like people can be hired to do that. But if you want proactive, good police officers that want to solve problems and then you say to them, you can't solve a problem, you're going to get people that will gladly become bureaucrats and get paid really well under union wages that everybody complains about to say, hey, sorry, sir, there's nothing I can do here. Like total indifference, total indifference to the process, because like these introductory crimes are what we've always talked about. Bill Bratton brought this out up, you know, all that whole theory of broken windows was turnstile jumpers are guys that also got heaters in their, in their waistband. So if you deal with them for breaking that minor infraction of the law, you also stop a kid from jumping on a train, going to another borough in New York City and shooting somebody over drugs. Well, no, 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 we can't do that anymore because that is as they say, inherently racist or an institutionally racist system is why bond reform and these things are happening is what they're saying to us. The bottom line is, is like you're also dealing with mental health related issues. We have no means of dealing with this. This person could be really suffering from a mental health issue, living in your squatting in your backyard. And now you're like, well, I have no right to kind of even get this person out of here. If I confront him and do something wrong, I could lose my life. 
if I'm an ordinary citizen, the police officer comes and tries to do something. He can be sued, possibly lose his life as well, because this past week we saw seven cops shot going to domestics. So you can honestly see like this course correction for criminal justice. This is not bull. This is like really what's going to happen. And if you're content with this, realize there's repercussions if you've never experienced that you're going to have to deal with. So here is one, which is another one, which is a disorderly conduct. So a local store owner has an individual in his store and the suspect is being loud, yelling obscenities at the customers and just going bonkers. The police arrive and they do realize he's disturbing the peace of the store. The suspect can only be issued a ticket to go to court within 21 days. The officers have to leave and cannot be forcibly able to remove the guy from the store. That means that that guy is still in your store and basically the police did nothing. What's going to happen is people are going to be leaving the businesses The businesses are going to crash and they're going to be leaving the city or maybe even Illinois because no, no police action can be taken except for a ticket to appear in court in 20 or 21. Why don't you give the example you were giving us in regards to the drug suspect to walk us through all the way going to court? Okay, so the problem you have is that every case is going to be decided if it's a felony, for example, you're going to go in front of a judge in the morning to get a bond. Basically, that's what used to happen. You go in front of there. The state's attorney right. says, mm-hmm. well, this guy is doing this, this, and this wrong. He's a gangbanger. He's a drug dealer. He's, he has five convictions. He has for guns, running, whatever, all that stuff. And then the judge would look at this guy and set a reasonable bond for him to go back to court. Nine times out of ten, his bond is going to be denied, and they're going to hold him for the next couple of weeks till he goes to the, to the till he goes to 26 and Cal to start addressing his charges. He will not be released. Okay? Or they're going to set a cash bond to make sure mm-hmm. that if someone puts money up that this guy's going to go back out on the street, it's going to be a substantial amount of money because we know this guy might not come back to court. So they take what's called the totality of circumstances, they take his whole being together to make an assumption Now, in Chicago, you have the west side, where I was from, where I did most of my um, police work. There you have open-air drug markets. So you have literally blocks that there are people watching out for the police. There are people that are there just holding the money. There are people there that are hiding the drugs. There are people there that are working security, holding the pistol. There are people there that are making the, the buyers, which we used to call them hikes, where they're going to walk to and where they're going to get served. There are people collecting the money. So it's almost like, it's almost like a business. Everyone has their role. Some people are money doing certain roles, but everything pretty much switches. So today you can be working security tomorrow. You could be holding the money. The next day, everything goes around. So say this particular day, I catch the individual that's holding the drugs on them. And I and he runs and I arrest him and I take him to court. Well, according to the Safety Act, they are only looking at him as a nonviolent offender. Heroin or, or crack cocaine is automatically a felony, whether you have one bag of, of, of rock or blow or whether you have 100 bags, it's a felony. They only take it that this kid 
was selling drugs and he ran from the police. And that's it. It's a nonviolent uh, felony arrest. He will get out. No cash bond, no nothing. They're not going to take the fact that what's his past like? What did he do before? They don't take the, the, the officers saying that, guess what? He could have had the gun yesterday. He could have shot at another drug dealer the day before. He, they, they're taking nothing into consideration, just that one incident, and the judge has no alternative of the Safety Act to let him go. So tomorrow, he could be let go and he could be holding the pistol. So that's what you're starting to see, right. where these kids now are getting arrested for felonies and then committing worse felonies to the point where if it's not an actual, like we all know, if it's a rape, if it's a murder, if it's a guy shooting, that's not going to be a problem. They're going to have no problem saying, hey, keep this guy in jail. But guess what's not going to keep him in jail? Those guys that committed murder or carjacking or shooting at somebody, or the day before. It's like the reason why you're arresting somebody for a low-level offense and you're fingerprinting him is because, guess what? A year from now, he could be the guy that just shot somebody and left his print on the door that you got. You know, you're, you're making a file. On right, people, right. And now you're pretty much throwing the file away and letting him go out in the world. Mm -hmm. So right. so let me ask you this, Angelo. From the, the, the Safety Act standpoint, when they put this together – what it, to me, I think the politicians were trying to assume that leopards don't change their spots or like, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what good that would be going through their head. What good would would this safety act create? So what what have you been hearing from the side of like, this is why it's good? So, so they they went pretty much. The politicians, I don't know how they were bamboozled into thinking that a poor person is going to go in front of a judge and that this poor person is not going to be able to afford the bond or, you know, kind of like the simple fact that a rich white kid can afford a lawyer and a bond and this and that, and he'll come out of jail. You know, what they don't understand is that the reason why you're putting this kind of a bond is because of what this offender did from past to present. And you're making a bond reasonable enough. It's kind of like, let's just forget the crime. Let's just taking you going to get a, a brand new car and your credit score is a 400. Guess what your interest rate is going to be? You know, your interest rate is going to be 13 and 14%. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the problem that they're not understanding. It's like they threw all that away. It's like, it's like a 19 year old kid walking in and buying a Lamborghini and then giving it to them without doing a credit check. The thing that's frustrating about it is that it's like people say, don't make this political, don't make this political. They tell us this all the time in recording the show, you know, with some of the negative complaints that we get. It's like, oh, you guys are political. It's whatever. But first and foremost, people don't understand policing is part of the political process. So to try to make this not political is to stop wasting your breath with that. Mm -hmm. It's political. It's part of it. People that do the work know better. Uh, when you talk to the battlefield, you don't talk to the general because the general is going to give you what everybody wants to hear. You talk to the soldier that's in the trench that's going, yeah, 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 my friend's guts were hanging out yesterday. That's what this is all right. about. The thing that clearly makes this political is the fact of the matter is, is that people that are the highest law enforcement officials in the state of Illinois, a hundred of them have reservations 
questions about this, which means that they weren't consulted on the front end about this. So when this law was created, it was created in reaction to politics, not to reality, not to what's best for anybody. And who suffers the most in politics? The people that politicians keep saying they're trying to protect the most. Those are the neighborhoods that suffer the most because you talk to those folks, 80 to 90 percent of them at this point with crime being as bad as it's been since July of 2021 have said, we want more cops. We don't want less. We want more cops here to help us as it is. Those people don't get a voice anymore because this is now, hey, I've made a decision as a politician and I'm going to stick by it. And the state's attorney's coming out and opposing it. It's now it's a whiplash effect. So that T, the today is not going to be today. It's going to right. continue. You live in the poverty and the and the, and the problems because business have left. They're not going to come back. They're not going to re-enrich your neighborhoods because they know it's even more problematic for people. So the political part of this process has to be discussed. And because we all four of us have been on the ground looking at it in multiple places, doesn't make us any less credible. It just says, hey, we're just giving you the soldier's take from the ground. And if that's credible elsewhere, why isn't it credible here? So right. give that thought. And he, and, right. Now, and. Go, I was going to say, Scott. Angelo made a great point, you know, about the bond. When we talk about it's always everything with the law is about what is reasonable. It's it's being reasonable. You're not going to take someone. I don't care what your background is or, or you know, where you're from and, and take, you know, race and everything out of it. They're going to look at what is the, what is this crime that you did and what is the severity of it? What other types of crime? Maybe it's the first time you ever did something. You did something stupid. Judges don't typically just pile on outrageous bonds on individuals in those situations for people who maybe just made a one-time mistake or they're not some type of violent criminal. They're not getting million-dollar bonds and being forced to stay in jail for extended periods of time. People that typically get higher bonds are people who are violent offenders, who are repeat offenders, who commit crimes against people and hurt other people. That And, and right. those are the kind of people that you do want it to be – uh, more difficult for them to be out on the streets. So they're not hurting other people and committing offenses against other people. It's not about, it, it doesn't have to do with about like your, your race or your ethnicity or any of that kind of stuff. It has to do with what kind of crime did you commit? And a judge, the judge sets that bond. The judge looks at that. Your looks, it tells what it has with what the state's attorney is providing them with and says, this is who this individual is. And it's up to a judge to set a reasonable bond to ensure that either one, if maybe they shouldn't be out on the street because they're committing crimes against people, they shouldn't be, or to ensure that you set a bond that is going to make sure that that person comes back to court when it's time to come back to court to answer to whatever those charges are. Right. And to me, Angelo, if I'm wrong, I got two questions. One, to me, whether you could afford the bond or not, that. It, it, it's a matter of coming back for trial. Once you're at trial, your record is going to reflect it. In other words, what's the old saying? Don't do the crime right. if you can't do the time. You know, you, you're not going to walk in front of a judge and have five felony convictions for whatever. And then the sixth one, they're going to pretend that the other five didn't happen. That's what's happening with the Safety Act. They are, if this particular crime that you committed was not a forcible felony with an act of a gun or anything like that, they're going to look at it by itself and not be able to tell you the last five times that you were in jail for an ag battery or a discharge or, or a UUW, unlawful use of a weapon. The judge now 
is statutory, can't look back at that. Mm -hmm. He's got to let you go. Because that crime in front of him. But can he look at it once it goes to trial? He cannot. Not even a trial? No. You cannot be judged. Just like, think about it this way. Well, he's being judged just on that one crime. Why are you bringing something? That's like the perfect example when I was in law school. They're basically throwing out his past. So this case, the jury will never know that this guy's been arrested five times, three for ag batteries, two for UUWs. He's just going to know that this guy right now was on a drug spot and that he was selling drugs and he ran from the police or he had drugs on. That's it. That's it. That's what his bail is going to go to. That's what's going to happen. He is not going to jail. The state's attorney is not going to turn around and say, hey, this guy also has 18 priors. It doesn't happen anymore under this new law. Not even a trial? At, at trial, a good defense attorney is not putting him on the stand. They're going to make sure that that, that that guy either A, doesn't go on that stand, or he doesn't open the door to saying he's a good guy. Because then you can use un, use the prosecutor to impeach his testimony. But if he goes up there and he shuts up and he sits back down and doesn't say anything and doesn't testify, his past can't come up. His past that he's a gangbanger can't come up. His past crime can't come up. He's only being judged on that one crime in front of the judge. And for people to understand that a little bit better, I mean, that's where the Fifth Amendment comes in. The Fifth Amendment gives you the, the at least as a defendant, it gives you the opportunity to say, I will yeah. not incriminate myself. But now if you're taking the state's right away or the state's authority, I should say, away to say, I can look at this guy's past like people, the jury understand that this guy is a pattern cr a criminal, violent criminal. But we can't talk about that now. And that uh, Angela asks for the next question. And maybe this is part of the four that you were talking about. A lot of the Safety Act addresses police officers uses of force. And now we have to keep a database on it. We have to keep a catalog of it. And it can be used against us from our past. Now, I could be cleared of a use of force incident covered with that. And I'm hoping that this law allows for that for to be expunged from my record. But if, it, if an agency has to keep track of force, one, people have to understand what force is. Force is something as simple as I had to just escort this guy out. But that's considered a use of force. Now that it's never been reported on that level before, now you're going to see reporting numbers like, skyrocket and people are going to go oh my god this completely justifies what's going on well folks your government was never that responsible in understanding policing because it never kept track of it all the fbi keeps a database on it no it doesn't it's not an accurate database listen to our previous show with bob scales it talks about how it only reflected you know really violent crime where people were murdered and things like that it didn't reflect all of the other things the intermediate uses of forces like oc spray hands soft hand techniques escorting people out some people are saying now simply pointing a gun at somebody is an uh, is, was a use of force when we got on the job people would roll their eyes about that. You know, putting handcuffs on somebody is saying a use of force dependent upon where you live. These are all things that are going out there that now can be used against us as officers. So our past in just doing our job could be something that people could manipulate and say, well, this officer has been involved in 20 uh, use of force incidents. A juror that doesn't understand the system is going to go, oh, that's terrible because yeah. force sounds rough and people don't educate themselves to this process. So we can apply it to the state, which should live by a higher standard. There's no doubt about it than the ordinary citizen. But the bottom line is, is that, look, this is going to really tie the hands of your own government to make you feel safe. And what we're seeing right now is frustration amongst all Americans that when you show up as a cop, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. They're like, they look at you and go, you guys can't do anything about this. Right. You know, you, you, nothing's going to happen. You know it. And we get there and we get frustrated because 
they tell us cops need to be problem solvers. Cops need to use their head. Cops need to use. So I'm trying to think of creative ways. Well, creative ways is I don't have the juice to say, let's get you routed to some, you know, book reading thing or some other restorative justice process Mm -hmm. that has to be approved by a system. By a system. And if the guy doesn't even get into the system because we're not allowed to enter him into the system, how does that even work? Can you can you speak to that, Angela? I know that was a diatribe, but <laughs> um, can you speak to that? The problem that we have is that crime in Chicago, the predominantly crime in Chicago is the shootings. The shootings, mm-hmm. almost 90% of the shootings are committed by young black men between the ages of 15 and 22. That's it. And those shootings primarily happen in three districts. The 11th district, which is Harrison and Kedzie. The 7th district, which is encompasses Inglewood. And the 15th district, which is uh, the Austin district. Okay? That's where 90% of the shootings are happening. It's not the white policeman that is beating up the young black kid. It's not the crazy cop that's just going around shooting people. It is, especially now on social media, it is the 13-year-old that was disrespected by the 18-year-old and is going to get a gun and shoot. It is the drug. Everything now is out there. And what you've done is you've now let those kids run crazy. When I was a kid, you never, ever thought you'd see crime on the mag mile. You never thought that was possible. You never thought right. you would go down. You never thought you would go down the mag mile and see people, loads of them, running the streets in Lincoln Park, carjackings. That is because the policemen now are afraid to put hands on people, are afraid to enforce the law, and by the way, now anonymous complaints are used against the policemen. Before, to get a complaint against a Chicago policeman, you would have to sign an affidavit and you'd have to give your name and who you were. Now anonymous complaints work. And now you get enough complaints, then you know what they say? Well, guess what? I'm sorry, but you know what? This officer has 18 complaints this last month. Well, when Mm -hmm. I first came on the job, if you were a tactical officer in the ghetto or in those areas, that meant that you were disrupting the drug trade. You were doing your job. You were bothering people. If you had 18 yeah. complaints against drug dealers, you were given an award. If right. you had 18 complaints against working people, then then you had a problem. And they're completely right. trying to say, you know what? We're giving you a gun. We're giving you handcuffs. We're giving you pepper spray. We're giving you a taser. We're giving you a rifle. But if you use it, you're going to go to jail. And this is what's becoming of policing, particularly in a lot of urban centers where officers are like, hey, I'm not going to do anything. And we are immediately as cops, you are faced with, I saw this guy. I saw this gal. I saw this situation. I didn't pursue it because I was afraid that I, one, wasn't going to be supported by my politicians, then my organization. And then even my coworkers are like, dude we're all going to get in trouble here. Let's just back out because this right. is just easier to walk away. We go home there. We're safe. They keep doing what they're doing and it doesn't serve anybody. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is, is within minutes, you find a body that maybe that person created or a problem that that person created. Here, let me give you a scenario. This is another scenario that was brought up to us for a shooter. Say uh, a suspect, you get called that there was a mass shooting at Madison in Sacramento, where I'm from on the west side. Okay, where I did my police. Mm-hmm. 
And the description comes out, a six-foot-tall, 110-pound African-American gentleman, and his afro is green with blue polka dots, and he's running southbound, okay? Mm-hmm. We approach the scene, and then there's already units there, and they have said it is an active scene. It is bonafide. There are people shot. There are people going to the hospital, and, and that description relatively fits. And as we come up, we're about two blocks away. I see a black kid matching that description with that unique hairstyle. And I go to stop him. Okay? And when I go to stop that kid, the kid, for whatever reason, doesn't want to listen to me. I am a uniformed police officer in full Chicago police outfit, and I order him to stop. He, under the law, has no right to refuse me. He might not like it. But he has to stop. If he doesn't like it, he can always file a complaint. He could take me to court. He could do whatever he wants. But at that particular instance, when I give him a lawful order, stop. Don't move. He takes off running or he fights me. He won't come in. He won't, he won't, he won't acknowledge what I'm saying, which now makes me even more that this guy might be the guy. So we have to go hands on him. And we say we put him to the ground, say in the, in the, uh, in the forceful takedown, we bust his nose, we bust his head, we handcuff him, and now we call him, we do a show-up, which means a show-up is, hey, I got a guy, he fought me, he's got that unique look of the afro, he's got that almost fitting the description, and I bring him to the scene for a show-up. And this kid now can civilly sue me, and the Chicago Police Department will not, will not, take my side and represent me in court. Wow. You have just destroyed proactive police work. Right. It's over. No one's going to do this because a policeman, for example, that has 19 years and has another year or two to become, to get his retirement. Unless I see this guy shooting a pistol, I am not approaching it. I can't because if I'm wrong, I'm a dead man. Because now this kid is going to have a lawyer, he's going to be bruised up, and he's going to say that this big white cop destroyed him, beat him, racially profiled him, and I'm a dead man. And the city of Chicago is not going to say, this is what happened, and this is the whole thing. The city of Chicago is going to dismiss their hands. And that's what you've essentially been doing. Because when I came on the job in 1995... There was about 15,000 people waiting to take the Chicago police test. Now you'll be lucky to get a thousand. And out of that thousand, how many of them are actually going to make the cut for doing it? Here's another one, which is an obstructing charge. The police are investigating a homicide, a body is on the ground, and the area is surrounded by crime tape. A person decides to enter the area after being told not to by a uniform officer. The guy walks through the scene and jeopardizes the investigation. The person no longer be arrested for obstructing a police investigation and force cannot be used to remove the individual from the scene. So basically, crime one, crime scene integrity is completely jeopardized. I mean, like, look, I, look I'll give anybody that's a, a dissenter, somebody that somebody that's the center to what we did. And like, they say, well, what about Ferguson? You left that body out in the street forever and nobody seemed to care and things like that. Look, I'll give you the emotion of that. But the bottom line is, is like, it's about a resource or something like that. But Chicago Police Department, when they establish a crime scene, because they have to do it a lot, they're actually pretty good at it. You know what I mean? They get really good at shell casings and tape. And like, you watch guys like, it's like a machine, like agency 
agencies that maybe don't experience that a lot, maybe aren't as efficient at that, but they're probably not dealing with the level of clientele at times that would require that. So what do you gain? What do you lose? If you've got a crime scene unit that's like really active and really good at what they do, uh, you know, property values is probably not going to be there for you either. Somebody comes in, they're like, hey, dude, you can't go in here. You're contaminating a crime scene. A police officer can be disciplined for that. A police officer could be terminated for that. But an ordinary citizen can come do that. And that's your son that's laying there that you want to know why the police can't solve the crime. I'm getting obviously animated about it because it just doesn't seem right. like this made any sense. Like what prevents somebody, if Angelo, if you were running a gang and I was running a gang, what prevents somebody, hey, go shoot so-and-so. And as soon as they put the tape up, walk in there, spill your Diet Coke in the crime scene. Then you go to trial and you're like, well, the crime scene can't be used because it's contaminated. So right. so now you now the killers that even if they go, Tom Jones did it, they don't have a crime scene. They walk free. They also put in that bill, too. The body worn cameras Hmm. that if a police officer gets into a situation where force is used. okay, and I'm going to and the body camera is not activated, that police officer faces a class four felony charge. It's statutory. Right. And we all know what statutory means. The fact that you did it, you're going to jail for it. They are a female officer. That's in a very, you know, high crime area district, and she's maybe five two and weighs a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. It's going up against two guys that is six two, two hundred and twenty pounds. And as we all know, the body camera is a tap. Right. Mm-hmm. And you tap it to start, tap it twice to finish, or what however the body camera works. Say she gets scared, or say she inadvertently taps it one too many times, and all of a sudden. All hell breaks loose, right? Right. And they got to go back on the cameras. Policemen come in and they want to see from the beginning, say the offense, you know, get beat up pretty good because of the fighting and this. And they go to that officer and they say, turn on your body camera. And she inadvertently, because she was scared, she was nervous, whatever it is, to show the scene of how these guys were aggressive on her and to, and to, and to lay out the scene for the state's attorney. It doesn't turn on. Yeah, there's nothing to download, basically. Yeah, well, or to view it. The state's attorney will not uh, give charges on these two guys. These two guys are walking free, and that officer now is getting faced statutorily with a Class 4 felony for failure to activate her body camera. Yeah, I mean, it's a... It's a it- it's, I gotta be honest with you, it's almost unbelievable. This is a pendulum. We don't pay attention in America anymore. We just rely on people. We rely on people to say, oh, they'll make good decisions for us. Well, they didn't. They- the, the problem that you have is we always used to think the pendulum swings one way a little bit here and a little bit there. My thought no. this much is the pendulum now for law enforcement in Chicago and in the state of Illinois is broken. It's not getting fixed. It's not getting fixed. The fact that you have me 25 years in the city of Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. I went to Gordon Tech High School. I went to to Loyola University. I went to DePaul Law. I grew Mm -hmm. up in Chicago. My family's in Chicago. My my friends are in Chicago. I lived in Chicago. Um, That you now have me living in Florida (laughs) sends volumes down every aisle that it's not coming back. Right. And he just went through a hurricane. He don't even want to go back to Chicago after that. <laughs> right. Right. So January, so so January the first, 
they started with the Safety Act, the constitutional reform and everything, and they started crucifying policemen for mistakes. February the 2nd, I retired. Yep. And I started working with the Sheriff's Department March the 1st. Yep. Can't afford to make a mistake. Where I worked was challenging area. And the sad part is, is if, if you're not going to make a mistake, if it looks bad, they're going to destroy you. The dichotomy of all this, the irony or whatever you want to call it of all of this is that when you're policing in an area that needs police, every single place you look, turn and go, mistakes were made. Society, system, families, everything failed. So then you take the one thing right now, the only thing, honestly, this is terrible. And I know it's terrible to say that the only thing that can kind of make a difference in those neighborhoods at this point are police officers. And you put them in that every single day, that kind of you know, combat zone driven mentality. And then you say to them, well, anything you do now, you're going to be held accountable for the slightest mistake that you make in that moment. And what the, again, the ballyhooed aspect of this is you find the one guy that was completely out of control, that all the other officers knew, pointed out, did what they needed to do, stayed away from whatever. That's the one that the mainstream media props up and says, These, this must be commensurate with all the cops. Very few people commit these crimes at the level that Angelo is talking about. But if you address them and you get to them, crime rates go way down. That's that's not going to happen anymore. That's not going to happen anymore. And you see it spiraling out of the city. Scott can tell you about out way as far out in the western suburbs. It, crime is at, through the roof. And the problem that you have, to, to piggyback on that, is the person that has the weapon out there or the person that is doing the bad, and you have his followers that are behind them, if that person gets arrested and locked up, it shows everybody else that there is accountability and mm -hmm. it will deter a lot more future. But when you have a guy that commits it and is out the next day, you've not only emboldened him, but everyone around him that would be a little bit hesitant or a little bit afraid will also now start carrying a weapon, will also now start um, doing the bad deed, serving the drugs, looting, robbing, grabbing, because they know now that just like the dude on the street that we all watched and thought he was crazy, gets arrested, he's back out the next day. So we have no fear of the police now. So we're going to hold the pistol. We're going to run the dope. We're going to do the carjacking. We're going to go downtown because the state's attorney isn't going to prosecute us. The police ain't going to hold us. What? Why not let it go? It's like Thunderdome. We're, we're free. Because people live without fear of their lives and their operations being interrupted. When the Safety Act was going up for a vote, I said, and maybe you guys are like I was, I said, you know what? I could understand maybe Cook County wanting it because I'm not a fan of Kim Fox, but I never thought, and this is me 51 years old, I never thought DuPage, Kane, McHenry, Will, uh, all those counties would approve it. I never thought that the state as a whole, I always thought that the silent majority was going to win. Mm -hmm. That they were going to say, this is insane. You guys have lost your minds and these politicians need to be out of here. Right. But when they approved it, that was the biggest slap in my face that said, you know what? They don't want me in your state anymore. They don't want my craft. They don't want my professionalism. They don't want my occupation. And it's time for me to leave. That was the big one that said to me, it's time to go. Right. And remember, I came from the 41st Ward, which has Napolitano, which is which is the only Republican ward in the city of Chicago. And on previous shows, we talked to Jason Lewis just a few episodes back, episode 96. Jason Lewis talked about it. He, he brought up a point. Scott and I were pointing things out to him. We were getting kind of impassioned about the things he was talking about. But he said, hey, 
And it was the greatest explanation that I ever heard a cop say that's been at the tip of the spear with this all the time in California. They've been at odds with law enforcement for some time out there. He said, these people just need to be held accountable for what they're not paying attention to and who they vote for and what they elect and what they do. Mm-hmm. Like literally, literally, that's the case. Look, we are just agents of the state that you want, folks. We're going to wrap it up here. But here's what I think. What I want to do is I want to have Angelo. I want you to come back in like maybe March or April next year. You know, because I know you keep in contact with all your people in Chicago, and I want to see how this is really going to play out. Because I, I, my personal opinion is, is by by seeing this, it's going to be a war zone, bro. It's going to be a war zone, and and I feel sorry for all the guys you know, because where, where can they even hide if they have another year or two? Like, what are they going to do? I feel so bad for those coppers. There's nothing they can do, bro. And who we should feel really bad for is the average Chicagoan, the average Chicagoan that has to deal with that, that has to, the yeah. shopkeep, major corporations that employ people are like, we're pulling yeah. out of the mag mile. We're leaving. We're not going to be a, average Chicagoans are the ones that are suffering the most. The cops are just a part of it. They have to live in that city. It's understood. There's a mass thing going on right now that people aren't paying attention to. And it's a real paradigm shift in how politics in the state of Illinois are now impacting everyone in that state or people are leaving Chicago, both cops and criminals moving out to different places. They're expanding. The crime is expanding because it's on, you know, unmolested and cops are like, well, I'm going to go somewhere. At least I'm a little bit more appreciated. I have an entire family that I got to pick up. I just did it. That ain't easy to do folks. And I was retired. It ain't easy to do. Pick up your entire family and move them somewhere else. They're doing that to every cop out there. And that sticks with them. Like it sticks with you. You're like, what I loved, my home, I had to leave to go practice my craft, as Angela said, somewhere else. So, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on and kind of talking with us about it. Obviously, I got amped. You guys did too, but I've had a lot of coffee today. No, it was great. Very insightful. Uh, really insightful stuff. And like Chris said, please come back and talk to us about, hey, moving forward, what are you hearing from the folks on the ground up there? Because you still got a lot of connects. Yeah. And well, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to have Angelo on a show and we're just going to do strict police stories because some of the stuff that he that he says people <laughs> will not even believe happened. Um, right. But but it, it, it's good. So my big fat Greek police career is what he's going to call it. <laughs> Right, because that's exactly he had a huge career as a cop. <laughs> so, but thank you guys uh, for listening. Please go to where you get your podcast, download, leave a rating and review, subscribe. It really helps us get the word out, especially like this when I think a lot of things are being hidden from civilians about how this can um, fatally um, impact you and detrimentally impact you, your your family, your livelihood. So, thank you guys so much. And if you have a question, concern, or you have a suggestion for a show, please email. Three cops talk at gmail.com. That's the number three cops talk at gmail.com. Angelo, thank you so much. Thanks, Angelo. Yeah, thanks. Ever wanted to ask a police officer a question? Mail your questions to three cops talk at gmail.com. That's the number three cops talk at gmail.com, and we'll answer them on the show. Follow us on Instagram at three cops talk. That's the number three cops talk. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there.